This is Meditations for Misfits, and I'm Fred Gruy. Welcome. In this week's podcast, we reflect on the story of Isaac uncovering the wells dug by his father Abraham, and consider this as a metaphor for rediscovering our own life purpose by remembering who we are. One of the inspirations for this is that quote that's on the top of your bulletin by Sue Monk Kidd that I love that she tells us stories have to be told where they die. And when they die, we can't remember who we are or why we're here. And so when I read that quote that reminded me of this story from the book of Genesis with Isaac, our ancient ancestor. And to give you a context, Isaac is the child of the 90-year-old and 100-year-old we talked about last week, Abraham and Sarah. Isaac is the child of the promise, the blessing of God. Remember last week I shared how Abraham and Sarah were giving hospitality to the three visitors, and it was in that that God prophesied that a year from now, Sarah will have a child. She was 90 years of age or something like that. And a year later, Isaac is born, and that is this child. So Isaac is the the fruition of the blessing and the promise comes through him. Now remember, the promise and the blessing of God on Abraham, Sarah, and their descendants was so that all of humanity would be blessed. Not so that they could feel special and elite and we're better than, but that all human beings would be blessed and have a connection to this divine other that we name God. And so Isaac is now the conduit of this promise and blessing. And as this story is given to us, Isaac has gone around and is digging up old wells. And so you may wonder, well, what's that about? Well, for me, it's a metaphor. Wells in this biblical time and place were incredibly significant because if you didn't have water, you couldn't survive. Water was necessary to exist because God's blessing had come on the Abrahamic family and Isaac, their herds, and so their sheep were prospering and their goats were prospering and they were farming and and they were having more and more and more. Well, you got to have water to sustain all that stuff. And so the enemies of the Abrahamic family didn't like them in the neighborhood, and so they would come throw dirt in their wells, so they would have to move. They were just being mean. Get out of here. Go somewhere else. We don't want you here. So they covered their wells up. And Isaac is uncovering these wells so that they would have safety and and water. And and those of us that have survived the Almeida fire of September 8, 2020, we know about the importance of water. I mean, my house, everything I had burned. We lived right across the street from a fire hydrant. But the fire hydrant was dry from all the water they were trying to put out of the water everywhere else. And so water is really like important. And so digging up these wells gave evidence that this is a safe and secure place. The, the One of the wells there named that Bob gave to us, Rehoboth, literally means that God has made a safe place 
for us. That's what the word translates into. Think of it this way in our language, breathing room. We, we now have breathing, we can spread out. It's safe. We're welcome here. We, we have what we need, which is my dream of what this church would be in this community. A sanctuary, a safe place where people have breathing room to come connect with God and with each other and that there's resource here. So I see the uncovering of the wells, as I say, as a metaphor for digging into the life and the vibrancy and what the resources are that we need to flourish. And Isaac is digging them up again because the way life is, is that we forget and we get out of contact with those life-giving resources. Life can beat us up and we go through hard times. In the history of our church, we have done that. Ten years or so ago, a simple fight over the color of a paint for a bathroom erupted into this enormous thing where people had to be asked to leave because they just couldn't be nice. That was painful. We've just come through a season where our previous minister left in a way that caused confusion and pain for her and for some of us. And so life just, as it goes, stuff fills up the wells. And so it is my intention and hope in this next season, last Sunday was Welcome Home Sunday, so we're starting a new season here in the life of our church, that we're going to dig up some of these wells and try to reconnect to the resources that have brought us life and that the people that have worshipped here for over a hundred years that brought them here, that we would dig back into that and tap in to the purity of the water, the life-giving resource that has nourished so many that have come here. So over the next year, we're going to uh, mix into our worship services remembrances of what this place has been like and what we have done together as a way to reconnect to that life-giving resource that is in us. Now, another story I'll share that, that to give some context to this. A, a number of years ago, it was in the mid-1990s, I was, uh, I, actually I went to six different seminaries. I finally found one that would graduate me, so I stayed there. But I, and one of the seminaries I went to was a conservative Presbyterian seminary, which I realized soon wasn't my cup of tea, but uh, they had a trip to Israel. And I had been to Israel once before on my honeymoon. I had won a trip from some sales thing I was involved with. But uh, the second trip I went with these other seminarians. And as part of the trip, we went to the Wailing Wall. Now the Wailing Wall is the, the, the foundation base of what was the temple when Jesus was alive. It's called the Second Temple or Herod's Temple. And it's been destroyed. It was destroyed by the Romans in 66 AD. But the base, the foundation of that is still there. And that's what the Wailing Wall is. And it's a holy place. And people often take little chits of paper with prayers or people they love and they put the chits of paper into the cracks and crevice of the wall. So it's a holy place. So I went and, and, and I just wanted to pray. I, I had felt somewhat distance from God and I just wanted to pray. And so, and, and sadly, here, this is a little tip. If you ever want to be a pilgrim and you want to go to holy places, holy places can be very annoying because there's always people around holy places that want money. 
that's one of the things. Holy places are just a magnet for people that with need and want money. And so I'm just trying to connect with God. And I'm trying to get up there, and all these people are hitting on me. They can tell I was American, so, you know, all right, he got my... So they were trying to get money from me, and I just wanted to pray. I just And the other seminarians I with, I, I wasn't clicking with as much as I would have liked. And so I felt alone, and I just thought, give me space, give me space. Let me get to the wall. So I got up to the holy wall. I'm trying to pray. And, and settle myself down and connect. And I put my hand on the wall. And it felt like an invisible fist came out of the wall and grabbed my bowels, my innards, my guts, and just grabbed me. And I'm standing there. And, and I had this imagination of, of a link of chain and how I was part of the whole chain of humanity where God has tried to make God's self known to the rest of us through this land, through these people, through all of this, that, that God has longed for us to know God through each other, the blessing of Abraham and Isaac and Jesus and all that. And I was part of that. And it just, I just started shaking and I was crying. And at some core elemental animalistic level. I knew this was my land. These were my people. I was part of this, this whole revelation of God's self to us. And it was like, oh, I was over. I just started crying and shaking. And the other guys I was with were looking at me like, what happened to you? And it was like, I don't know. And so I just needed space and to get away. So I ended up wandering off on my own through old town Jerusalem by myself late at night. And I ended up in some little shop that was still open. And I'm just crying and snot everywhere. And I'm just, what is this? And I don't understand. And the little shopkeeper was the only other person in there. And he said, what, what's going on with you? What happened? And I stammered out and tried to explain my experience. And he came around the counter and, and he grabbed me and said, welcome home, my brother. And he gave me a tallit and a yarmulke, and he embraced me. And I felt this deep connection for, for all the, the blessing of Abraham, of trying to help make God known and be a blessing to all peoples everywhere. That was an incredible experience. So that was my re reconnecting with a well of, of what I'm trying to talk about here is Jacob or is Isaac dug up the wells to, to reconnect to that vital life source that is God and that has been so much a part of our own history as this congregational United Church of Christ in Ashland. And so I want to bring forth over the next year stories to remind us of who we are and what we're about. It's not just the recent history, but, but Jim Stumbo is telling me 10, 12 years ago, during coffee hour in the back, uh, there was a group of Muslim people that wanted to build a mosque in Talent, and they were having difficulty. They were getting pushback. It was like during the Persian Gulf War, one of those, it was after 9-11. And there were folks in the area that didn't want a mosque here in Southern Oregon, and they were getting pushback. And so Jim was telling our, our pastor at the time, Pam Shepard, about this, and they were having this conversation, and Pam just stopped coffee hour, went and grabbed that little bell and started ringing it the way Wendy does, you know, 
And, and so she said, look, we have some, some brother and sister Muslims that want to build a mosque and they're having trouble. Let's raise some money. And in that coffee hour, they raised like 500 bucks. So when the bell rings back there, be careful. <laughs> but they raised like $500 to go give to the, to the Islamic folks so they could build their mosque. And we wanted to tell them, we're with you. We want you here. That's part of the history of this community. In 1985, the General Synod of the United Church of Christ, the United Church of Christ, the denomination we're part of, is a, has a crazy structure. So we have these General Synod offices in Cleveland, Ohio, that make sort of proclamations, but they can't make any of the churches do anything because all the churches are independent. It's like herding cats. So the way they say it, we speak to the church, not for the church. But in 1985, at a general synod, the leaders of our denomination decided, as a denomination, we are going to be open and affirming. Now that's code language in church world that means all sexual identities are welcome here. Not just tolerated, but affirmed, embraced, celebrated here. So they made this proclamation in 1985. The problem was the four to 5,000 individual churches all had to choose whether they were going to listen to that or not. So in 1991, there was, or 90, there was a conference in San Francisco to help churches to explain how we're going to do this. And Shiloh Hungerfer, who some of you know, went down to that, along with uh, Diane Gahuli Keys. And so they got trained, came up here, and in 1991, for a whole year, this congregation talked about how can we do this. And this was the first congregation in the conference that is Oregon to choose to become open and affirming. We were the first ones out of the whole conference based on the work that they did. That's part of the history of who we are as a people. In, uh, when, when the Persian Gulf War was coming on, what was that, in the early 2000s? Um, oh no, the Persian Gulf War broke out in January of 1991. This church put a huge banner up front, outside the building. Peace takes patience, let's stop war. That was a declaration. This church made the people that used to come here. And then in the 2003, for whatever reason, the, the numbers in this congregation had decreased. And it was about 55 folks, not 55 families, 55 folks, most of whom were well north of 65 years of age or 60. And the building was falling in. It was very run down. The pastor had resigned. The secretary had resigned. There was nobody leading music. And so this group of 55 folks were talking about, should we just close up, sell the property, get some good money, go join the Methodists or the Presbyterians? What should we do? And this 55 group of folks decided, and in a four-month period, raised 250 grand among themselves to invest in the refurbishing of this building and hired Brad Roop, to fix this place up. And so what we're sitting in right now is the result of the commitment of those 55 souls that believed if they fixed the building, a pastor would come, and Pam Shepard did, 
and that people would come and that the work of this congregation to make this Southern Oregon area a little more open to justice and witness ideas would happen. They made that investment on faith. And we're sitting here today enjoying what they sacrificed for us to have. So this is part of the well that is this place. And in the coming year, we're going to talk more about some of the other stories that have happened as a result of our faith ancestors in this congregation about who we are and what we're about to remind ourselves of the good things. Yes, there's been hard things. The, the paint story, uh, Pastor Christina's leaving of us. There have been some hard, but there have been wonderful stories. And we're not just going to have a Pollyanna review. One of the things adult education is going to lead us in this fall is we're going to read together as a church the book Murder at the Mission, which talks about how our denomination, the United Church of Christ, was complicit in the stealing of lands from indigenous folks. But we want to learn from the bad things that we've done, but celebrate the good things as a way to remember who we are, what we're about, as we are part of this blessing to help make the invisible God more visible. That's the project that we're doing. We want to remind ourselves of the good things that has nourished us and is a part of who we are. Now, along with all of this, this is somewhat intentional on my part. <clears throat> our church council met on Wednesday, and the decision was made with our conference minister from Portland, Tyler Connolly, that we're going to begin a search uh, process to locate and find a settled pastor to come and lead us into the future. The way I'm the interim, so my contract is I'm here until next fall, till the end of October next year, 2024. So council has decided they're going to recruit a search committee with some trusted, committed members of our group to help lead us in the search for a new pastor. And it's, it's going to be a good thing. Here's some of the things I can tell you about it. So the search committee will have two primary tasks. The first will be to create what's called a profile of who we are, an accurate picture of who we are as a people, how many we are, how much money we have coming in, the things that are important to us. For example, that we are open and affirming, that we are concerned about justice and witness issues, that climate uh, concern is a big deal here, that helping unhoused neighbors is a big deal. We want to paint a picture of who we are, and that will take a couple of months because we want to hear from everybody. So like we did the Listening Post project last year, we're going to do Listening Posts again to hear from everyone as much as possible who we are, what's important to us, what we're about, and what we would like to be so that we can get a sense of that and paint this picture as accurately as we can about who we are. Once that's gathered, then we will post that information on our denomination's national website. And ministers will look at that portrait and say, oh, I, that, boy, I'd like to be part of that. I could do that with them. I could help them do that. And so that they would recruit ministers that would want to come and help lead us into the next phase of our history. And that search committee will then 
cull through the people that apply and become like matchmakers, trying to help match us up to a minister that will lead us into the future. And that's the process that will go on over the next year. But like I say, council will discern who should be on this committee, and but we're going to hear from everybody in the process. So that's what's going to happen as we work about, uh, work at trying to understand better who we are, what we're about, and why we are. So that's what's coming. Now that second text that I chose for this morning fits right into this. The reading from the 14th chapter of the Gospel of St. John. So in that text, Jesus promises, if we try to do the things he's told us to do, that we do not need to be afraid, that his spirit will be with us. Now, earlier in the year, Linda and I got together and we started talking about the church budget for the year. And last year's church budget was like $206,000. And this year, looking at all the things we wanted to do, it was going to be about two hundred and fifty. dollars And Linda goes, I don't know how we're ever going to do that. And I looked at Linda and I said, look, if we do the right things, what we need will show up. Now, little did we know that would be Greg Janke and Paul Smith and Marsha King-Rosine and Kay Sandberg to help lead us, and they did. They did a, a stewardship campaign, and we're at like 99% now of the 250,000. They've done a marvelous job. And so the resources have come from you to do what we're trying to do in following Jesus on the way of radical love to help make the invisible God more visible to make this a safe place in our community for people to connect with God and with each other. So just as the spirit of Jesus was with us through the stewardship campaign, I trust Jesus' spirit is going to lead us through our discernment process as we try to figure out who we are, what we're about, and in our search process. And I'm expecting it's going to be an exciting thing. And yes, it'll have some bumps, but it's going to be fun and exciting as we rediscover who we are, why we are, and what we're about, realizing, as Jesus said in John 14, do not be afraid. I am with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Amen.